Kingdom uh, greetings in the name of Jesus. I hope everybody is doing well. Pastor Eddie here uh, from Christ Revealed Tabernacle. And this is our rooftop herald sessions that we are having every Thursday. And I hope these sessions, they are of help, Barcelona. You know, and I can see there's a number of people who are actually listening to the podcast. Uh, I can see it's increasing every week or rather for the few days that, um, you know, we have sent the other podcasts. Uh, yeah, I, I hope they are of good help. And uh, thank you very much for sharing the link and sharing it to your friends, family, church mates and your loved ones in the name of Jesus. I really appreciate uh, your love and your support. Uh, sometimes I might not be good, Bazalane, to you, or these teachings might not be relevant to you, but surely somebody might be helped. Uh, you might not need them, but uh, sharing a link to somebody who might be in need of such teachings, please do so, and let these teachings be a blessing in the name of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Amen. So thank you, basically. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much. Yeah. Today I want us to touch the issue of um, the witness of Scripture, all right, or the testimony of Scripture. All right, it's going to be a very short uh, message, and I hope it's going to be a blessing. And uh, yes, it's actually recurring from the previous podcast that you already done on um, you know infallibility and the inerrancy of scripture and i'm still saying the very same things Bazalana, i have not changed uh here's the thing we have to develop the heart uh, to protect and to defend the gospel all right the bible does command us in the book of james to say now let us defend the gospel let us defend the faith right and uh, one of the reasons why uh, there has to be a teaching in a church concerning infallibility or inerrancy of scripture i believe these types of teachings will now quench uh, those you know arrows those fairy darts uh, that are coming against the church in order to cause a doubt and unbelief as far as the word of god is concerned so i believe uh, these teachings, Bazalan, they might not really help you, but uh, surely they can inspire someone. Surely they can ignite uh, some form of a zeal, you know, uh, to protect the gospel. The Bible says the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. The Bible says that uh, zeal without knowledge leads to destruction. So it does not help to be zealous and we don't acquire any knowledge. It is our responsibility. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, the Bible says that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the water covers the seas. Oh Jesus, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory, the knowledge of the glory, the knowledge of the glory as the water covers the seas. Knowledge is important. The knowledge of scripture is important. Study to show yourself approved. The workmen who correctly devise the word of truth 
who needs not to be ashamed. We need to study, especially those who teach the word. There is no revival, Bazalwane, if we are not going to be accurate in the interpretation of scripture, there's no revival at all, I tell you. If we misinterpret him, it means we are misrepresenting him. It doesn't matter how much of fire you carry in your spirit, how much of fasting you have done, uh, how zealous you can be. But if you misinterpret scripture, you are misrepresenting the Lord and the Lord cannot be pleased. So gone are those days where we can say, no, God can use us as we are because knowledge is now accessible. There's time. There's the, there are chances for you to connect yourself to knowledge. Find time to study the word of God. Right? I cannot overemphasize that. I don't know how I got to that. But I'm just inspired to say, you know, the current revival, the revival of the heart, it needs us to be, to be knowledgeable. We need to know what we are doing. Our people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Okay, The churches are becoming stagnant because of lack of knowledge. Like I said last week, that script in the book of Proverbs that says, uh, by wisdom a house is built, um, by understanding it is established, and uh, with knowledge it is filled with rare furniture. We need to entertain such things. We need to entertain the knowledge of the scriptures. All right? The knowledge of the scriptures. So I hope these sessions are a blessing to you. So like I said, we have to concentrate on infallibility and the inerrance of scripture. They are very much important. The word of God carries final authority. You know, like I, I always say, it carries final authority and everybody is subject to the word. There's no one who's superior or who is actually excused uh, from the authority of scripture. You can't say you're an evangelist. You don't need to interpret scripture. I'll prove that to you later on on this session, that even as an evangelist, you need to do scripture interpretation. All right? Uh, everybody's subject to the word. To be an apostle does not mean that you are over the word. You can edit the word or you can impose your opinion over the word. All right? Everybody's subject to the word. The apostolic council okay, in Jerusalem, they were subject to the word. So all apostolic networks, uh, all evangelistic networks, all the other networks that you can ever think of, we must remember, as long as you are calling yourself a church, you must be subject to the word of God. The word of God is not subject to the church, okay? The church is subject to the word of God. We must get that one right. So it carries final authority, the rule of faith, it's a, it's, it's a rule and a standard of our belief, all right? There's no other way in which we connect to God except through his final authority that he has given us through his word. This word of God is more powerful than Quran, Bazalwan. It's more powerful than the Midrash, which is the interpretation of the Quran. It's more powerful than the Mishnah. It's more powerful than the, 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 the Talmud. You know, whether Jerusalem Talmud or Babylonian Talmud, I don't care. There is no inspired or author authoritative word like your Bible. Those 66 books that are canonized there, they carry everything that God will need from mankind and that man will need from God. So there's nothing that is lacking uh, in that book. So let us be confident even as we preach 
this word. Scripture must interpret scripture. Scripture must authenticate scripture. Uh, scripture confirms scripture. Okay, scriptures are never against each other. Please understand that one. Okay, scriptures must supplement scripture. So these things are very important for us to announce or to say them, to preach them, so that our generation may know and so that they can gain the confidence, even as they hear the word of God, to say this is the final authority, the final authority over every other authority, parental authority, political authority, any other type of authority that you can count. The word of God carries final authority. The word of God is plenary. That's another element that you must entertain in our generation. The word of God is plenary, meaning it is sufficient. Oh God, it is sufficient, Basalan. It is enough. It is plenary, meaning we preach everything in that word, including the, the commas and the full stop. We are preaching everything. We're becoming the doctors of scripture. We scrutinize. We preach everything that we can find in that particular scripture because scripture is never against itself. It's never against scripture. Scripture always complements, always interprets, authenticates another scripture. All right. There's something interesting that Jesus says actually in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. He says that um, uh, heaven and earth shall not pass away until the jot there's a word that he uses there he says jot or iota okay the word iota or jot refers to the 10th letter of the hebrew uh, which is the smallest letter okay in other words jesus was trying to highlight to us that um the everything that the law has written even the little things that the law has written uh, even the jot or the iota, which is the smaller, the tenth letter uh, in the Hebrew. Uh, actually, that scripture alone or that word alone, it shows you that the scriptures, there was a skill that was actually required for one to write scripture. That is why he had scribes, because scribes were not like the Pharisees um, or the Sadducees. Scribes were people who were now trained, um, who were trained to write the laws of God. Okay, to write the laws of God. That is why it's not everybody. When you check uh, your history, okay, in your Bible, it's not everybody who had the, the scrolls. If you check the history of the scrolls, how the scrolls came about, it's not everybody who had the scrolls because it was quite expensive to make a scroll in a sense that for a scribe to make a scroll, there had to be an animal that had to die. And if that animal is dead, a scribe had to be hired so that he can come and write a scroll on that particular um, animal skin. And if he makes a mistake, it was part of the scribal laws that if you make a mistake in writing the law, you can't actually scratch uh, that particular word or scratch that law. You have to throw away the whole skin or animal skin and find or kill a new animal in order for that particular scribe to, to write that particular law. So it was quite expensive. That is why you find that it was the, the kings who actually had the scrolls. It was found in the temples in the days of Josiah because it was not a common thing. Hence the book of, um, uh, oh Jesus, my God, <laughs> uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, it encourages people to write the law on their walls. Okay, to recite them uh, as they walk, uh, because uh, it was not everybody who had a copy of a scroll. So the the culture was that the law will be actually read to them, and uh, also have what you call phylacteries. Okay, phylacteries were actually the bracelets that they will have on their hand. 
uh, which was the laws that were written. So when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees uh, in Matthew 23, and he says the Pharisees have long phylacteries, but they don't actually practice it. It was actually, it was actually a culture in Israel that them that work in the field, they'll actually find a small portion of animal skin and write the laws of God on that and put them on their wrist so that they can remember and begin to recite them on the daily basis, writing them on their walls. Okay? It's not like your 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 current day Ten Commandments that you see on somebody's dining room. Okay? That thing there, it was actually something that was very serious because whatever that was said through the scroll, they had to write it down so that they can remember and be able to practice it. So having a scroll was quite expensive and it required somebody who's skillful. You had to be a scribe for you to do that particular job. So when Jesus says, hey, yeah, 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 heaven and earth shall not pass away until an iota, meaning everything that was detailed in the law, it had to come to pass before heaven and earth passes away. I hope that thing makes sense. And for me, that is what you call plenary. Every little thing that the Bible talks about, the prophetic uh, um, prophetic uh, scripture prophecy, scriptural prophecy, uh, it has to come to pass. Okay, we, we must believe it. We believe in everything that is written in that scripture. So before we talk about... Um, 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 I'm just blessed. Amen. Before we talk about um, the the witness of scripture, I want us to entertain something here that I've been, you know, uh, consistent with in all my teachings, right? We have talked uh, we have talked about um, the authority of scripture, all right? Now, authority of scripture is actually uh, found through the authorship of scripture. Listen to the sequence. Listen to the sequence. So the authority of scripture is traced through the authorship of scripture. And the authorship of scripture is traced through the writings or the writers of scripture. Okay. So from authority, we have authorship, which is the spirit of God. So what will give us the authority of scripture is when we understand the authorship that Christ or the spirit of God, First uh, Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. Okay, that inspiration to the writers now, okay, uh, it introduces us to uh, the authorship. So authority, authorship, writers. Okay, that's the sequence. So the writers... Um, did not actually take this word out of their heads. Okay, even though the word of God is in the, uh, independently inspired, these people of God, they also had the spirit of God. In this sense, they were the holy prophets of God. They were the holy apostles of God who wrote the word of God. All right, so when we talk about inspiration, because remember, your Bible is not like a Quran. In the Quran, they believe that the Quran fell from heaven, but we don't even know what is the geographical um, area where it landed and who discovered it and how was it? Was it in, in you know already been you know in in a paper form or something like that? How how was the scroll? You know we don't know these things, but they believe that the Quran fell from heaven, of which I believe is the greatest lie or a myth. You see, our Bible is not like that. The Terra Grammata, the Holy Scriptures, 
are not actually something that is not something that has fell from the sky. The Holy Scriptures came through the prophets and the apostles of God who had the Spirit of God. So when we talk about the writers, we must also visit now the last um, part uh, when it comes to authority. We must visit what you call inspiration. Like I've highlighted last week, inspiration has to do with the inspired word itself, but also the prophet had the Spirit of God. You know, that is why the word inspiration means an ability to write the mind of God to, or to write the mandate of God, to to write what God is saying or God's revelation. That's what we call inspiration. So the prophets and the apostles had that ability to write and to download the mind of God. Okay, hence we call it inspiration. Now, inspiration has, has serious pillars. Okay, inspiration... Um, it's not like um, there are pillars. There's something that supports uh, or rather uh, authenticates the word of God to be uh, inspired. Okay? Uh, there are two pillars mainly. The first thing that you must know about inspiration is that if the word of God or if we believe that the word of God is inspired by God or has inspiration, it must have the fulfillment of its uh, prophetic element. So this brings us back to the book of Revelations that calls the whole uh, Tierra Grammata, the Holy Scriptures, uh, to be the book of prophets. Okay, meaning now everything that they've written, these prophets, especially in the Old Testament, it was something that had to be fulfilled. And if those things have been fulfilled, starting from Adam uh, up to up to Malachi, you know, uh, or rather the New Testament from Genesis to the map, if there is anything that the prophets have written and uh, that is actually prophetic, that word has to come to pass because that is the only pillar that will make the word of God to be uh, inspired. So the fulfillment of prophecy in that particular word makes the word of God to be inspired. For instance, the scripture talks about the uh, Isaiah. Let's take Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah uh, 720 or 750 uh, years before the Messiah came. All right, so he gave a prophetic, a prophetic word how Jesus is going to suffer on the cross before his incarnation. Okay, he prophesied his incarnation how he's going to suffer on the cross. Seven hundred and fifty years later, that's when the uh, the prophetic word was now um, established. You see, you can tell now. Sometimes you can speak things that take time to manifest but anyway we are not there so as long as there is a fulfillment of that prophetic word therefore the bible is inspired so the fulfillment i want you to get this the fulfillment of events the fulfillment of the things that the writer spoke about then that makes the word of god to be inspired and if it becomes uh, fulfilled. It means now they never spoke out of their mind. They never spoke out of their heart, but they spoke by the Spirit of God, being moved by the Spirit of God, Paul will say, and they were moved by the Spirit of God as they wrote these things. So that is the pillar of inspiration. The second pillar of inspiration is what you call endurance, all right? Endurance or durability. To say now, the word of God has to be durable, has to be enduring. It must surpass generations to generations and it must stay constant and consistent. It must not change. 
right? The Bible says my favorite book, the book of Hebrews, it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of God shall remain. So there's durability, there's endurance when it comes to the word of God. If the word of God can surpass ages and all generations from Adam up to now and the word does not change and it's still inspired, it still changes people speaking the same message, then that word is inspired by God. All right. The book of Job, I think it's Job, uh, I'm not sure which chapter, but it says that a man is like grass. He with us, um, but the word of God shall remain forever. So I needed you to understand that. So from inspiration, we have those two pillars who support why the Bible is an inspired book and that the writers did not, uh, or proves that the writers did not write these things from themselves. So if they did not write these things from themselves, therefore they are in connection or speaking that which comes from the authorship, which is the Spirit of God. Okay? The word inspiration, the First Timothy 3.16. So the authorship is now introducing us to God himself, which is the authority of Scripture. So I needed to say that. So... Let's get down to business once more. I'm sorry for taking time, but uh, just five minutes. Um, this witness of scripture, okay, there's a law of witness in the Old Testament. Um, the law of witness. Ne? Uh, this law of witness was established in order to, to, to govern and to manage the nation in terms of... Uh, uh, them that transgress against the law, especially on the issues of uh, idolatry, uh, adultery, or anything that was actually written down by Moses as the laws of God. So if you transgress the law and you have been found transgressing the law, for you to be proven guilty, you had to have two or three people who were going to witness against you. Okay, with regards to that. So the book of Hebrews 10.38 also proves, um, I think the writer says that he that despised the law, you know, had to be punished because of these two or three witnesses. The book of Matthew 18, uh, it also continues, 18.16, it continues on the same principle. Remember the word witness, it means also, is the word ayid in Hebrew. It means a recorder. Okay, you are a recorder, it's either by hearing or seeing. So if we are saying that you are the witness of Christ, it means that there's something that you have seen or there's something that you have heard. And that particular thing is recorded in you or in your spirit, in your mind or in your soul. So when the Bible says in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses, the word martyrdom. It simply means now that you, you can die for the gospel. True witnessing is when you witness of what you have seen uh, of the Lord and you are willing to die for it. That is actually true witnessing. The Bible says that he that has a son has a testimony of which is something that I want to establish here. All right. Now, when it comes to infallibility and um, inerrancy of scripture, okay, remember that these two terms, they are not in the Bible. So somebody can come and say, this is my novel, it is also infallible and inerrant, okay? And then they will try and say, how you use these words is actually going to depend on your context or how you contextualize these words. For instance, if you're going to use the word soldier, Okay. The word soldier 
uh, it also used is also used in the context of Christianity. Okay, the Bible does call us the soldiers, so we are the army of God. But that does not mean we go to the war. So in the Christendom context, the word soldier it means a believer, somebody who is a believer, and uh, you know having righteousness, the belt of truth, and all of these things. But it's in the context of Christianity, you see, not in the context of the governance or government or the state. Meaning now, literally, you go to war, you carry AK-47 and stuff like that. You go to Congo, blah, blah, blah. You see, there's a, the, the understanding of the word soldier differs on the context that you entertain or that you are within. So if you are going to entertain this word, infallibility and inerrancy, without actually realizing that you can be defeated in terms of you know, those people who are anti-Christian to say now, in your context, yes, the Bible is infallible or it is uh, inerrant, but to us it is not. So how can we win such an argument? Okay, here's an answer. Okay, the pillar for infallibility and inerrancy is what you call the inner witness, Basalwan, the inner witness, which is the spirit of God. Now, how do you know that you are born again? Besides the fruit and the works that you do, going to church and not committing sin and stuff like that. How do you know yourself before people see you? How sure are you that you are born again? The answer is very simple. It is within you. You have an inner witness, which is the Holy Spirit. Okay? The inner witness, which is the Holy Spirit. That is why the Bible says, he that has a son. Okay, he that has a son has a testimony. Okay, when we have the spirit of God testifies within us that we are the children of God. So the testimony of the spirit within us, it gives us the assurance that we are really saved. Okay, we are going, we are, we are having eternal life because it's the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. Okay, so that's how you know that you are born again. The same thing that must happen too. Um, the issues of infallibility and inerrancy. We don't just depend on terminologies or become re- become rhetoric on on our presentation and and you know uh, be more scholarly in terms of proving the word of God to be infallible or inerrant. But as we begin to preach, actually doing apologetics, you don't need to go to school. What you do. When you, what you, you preach is actually uh, doing apologetics, whatever you preach on Sunday, because you are claiming and interpreting that Jesus is actually the son of God. So by so doing and proving it scripturally, which is the assignment of any preacher, then you are already doing apologetics. Okay, so the infallibility and inerrance of scripture, they rely on the inner witnessing of the spirit. So the inner witnessing of the spirit does not only communicate to people who are born again. That's the thing. The spirit of God, it it also converts them that are not born again. Actually, that's why now you yourself, you're also born again. Because somebody preached the truth and your conscience could attest and the Holy Spirit bring brought conviction in your heart to say whatever things that this man or this preacher or this person is saying, they are true. Okay, so that's what we call inner witness. So when it comes to infallibility and inerrance, we don't only rely on intellect and knowledge on how much we know. We also rely on the conviction of the spirit, even as we do our presentation of the word of God. I hope that makes sense. So three minutes, three minutes I'm doing um, the scriptures being the witness. Okay. Um, oh, Jesus. Luke 24 verse 27. Okay. 
the Bible tells us that Jesus was on his way to Emmaus with two disciples. And then the Bible says, and Jesus expounded. Okay, listen to that word. Read the scripture. Luke 24 verse 27. He expounded all scriptures. Okay. All scriptures concerning himself. Okay. So when he did the word expound, it means to exegete, to explain, to interpret, which is the first thing that you must understand that if Jesus can interpret scripture, what makes you think that you are an evangelist or a teacher that does not need to interpret scripture? Okay. And the Bible is clear to say that Jesus, he expounded concerning himself, meaning now the final destination of any exegesis in the Bible is Christ. You can't do a teaching on a Sunday and not reveal Christ. And when I say reveal Christ, I mean you establish Jesus to be the Alpha and the Omega, to be the one whose volume of these books are about. Okay. That's what you call exegesis. So, He's expounded all scripture, okay, all scripture and all means all, meaning every verse, the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, the poetic books, the historical books, minor prophets, major prophets. He expounded on them concerning himself. Listen, the witness of scripture, the scriptures are talking about a man. They are witnessing about Jesus. In the beginning, there was a word and the word was with God and the word was God. So the final interpretation or the witnessing of scripture, scripture witnesses of its own. It witnesses about itself because the scripture itself is not only the rhema, which is now the spoken word or the logos, which is now the written word. But we have to come to an understanding where, where we know that the written word and the spoken word, the rhema and the logos, they must produce a man called the living word, Christ Jesus. God bless you. I hope you're okay. I hope you enjoyed the teaching. And uh, please pray for me in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.